Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup, episode 44 for the week ending Monday, February 15th. This is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andy Lemasugu and with me is my co-host, my good friend, uh, Defo Mohapi. How's pitch season treating you guys? It's all good. It's all good. We'll see how it goes. It's eight weeks before we 52 episodes, dude. I hadn't thought of it that way. Oh my word. It's going to be a year, bruh. Jeez. That's a long time, but it flew by quite quite quickly. I like it. I like it a lot. Listen, if you're joining us for the first time wondering, they've been around a year. Well, yes, we have. Uh, please head on to africantechroundup.com and you'll find all our previous episodes, everything you've missed. Uh, do do yourself a favor and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We we put out very cool updates on there. Uh, our handle on both platforms is at African Roundup. Uh, you can find us on Facebook as well at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. Right. Before we get on to the rest of this week's show, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash African Tech. With over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, or MP3 player. Sign up right away, or at least as soon as this podcast is over, by getting a great book called Hackers, Heroes of the Computer Revolution by Stephen Levy and narrated by Mike Chamberlain. Just click through to audibletrial.com forward slash African Tech for your free audiobook. It's a no-brainer, man. Great stuff. Now, uh, last week, we met with a chap named Siabulela Uza. Lots of people call him Sia for short. Uh, he's a young engineering graduate from Harvard who got his start in science very young. In fact, he used to experiment with rocket fuel in his mother's kitchen in a little rural town in the Eastern Cape of South Africa. While still very young, he would later become quite well-known for his prowess in the field of energy engineering. Now, he's won numerous awards and and been granted tons of endowments from around the world. In fact, he's even had a planet named after him, which is insane. Now, he's back on the continent, uh, in South Africa specifically, and uh, besides spearheading a business focusing on the commercialization of solar cells and other related solar technologies, he serves currently as the brand ambassador for French oil giant Total. Now, here's a clip from a conversation I had with Sia, as well as Total's GM for the company's marketing services competency center, uh, Dr. Jerry Goulet. Now, I asked them both what tech and innovation trends outside of their core fields of competency that they're excited about right now. Uh, Take a listen. I think what excites me the most is all the advances that we're seeing in, 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 in neuroscience. As you're aware, you know, people think that we only use 10% of our brain, right? And look at how much we've done only using 10%. Imagine if we had 20%, imagine if we had 33%, but uh, the convergence of neuroscience with technologies such as neurofeedback therapy and advances in biochemistry that are allowing people to, 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 you know, to access, you know, you know, you know, more capabilities of their brain is going to be very, very fascinating. But I think even closer to home, what we're seeing in the automotive industry right now, for the first time, we're starting to see technology playing a bigger role in terms of how the cars of the future are being made. Um, what, you know, Tesla is doing with, uh, um, you know, with, with their vehicles. I think that's an exciting part. Um, I think, um, uh, outside of energy, outside of my, my interests, you know, those, those would be, um, my, my, my most exciting uh, things you know three things really neuroscience um the future of trans- transportation and, art- and artificial intelligence robotics and what will that mean what will that mean for africa 
you know, we have this reliance on trade unions, and but that's going to shift our ma- labor markets. What will robotics do? I mean, it's it's a very very interesting uh, discussion. As you know, if you're following the World Economic Forum, where we're talking about the fourth industrial revolution, how is Africa going to be relevant in the fourth industrial revolution? Are we going to be left behind like we have been, or are we going to take the lead? It's up to us. That's yeah. What 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 would you say is uh is tickling your fancy at the moment, Doctor Quinn? What is really tickling my fancy? A couple of things, but the, at the top of that is what is happening in medical science. I mean, some of the the things that are coming out of there are are just amazing. Uh, the fact that you can reproduce things, you can now uh, stuff that we thought was only possible. Um, in fiction is now becoming a reality. So that, that, that's exciting. It's also scary because we are finding that the, the, the legal systems are not really geared up to deal with the, the, the new things that are, the, the, the new development. So that, but it is exciting. It is scary at the same time to see, um, you know, to, to just to wonder where is this actually going to end and what does it mean? So it's, it's challenging some of our concepts, some of our beliefs. I'm also, I mean, over this past weekend, I listened to a, a, an interview uh, where, you know, these explorations that are, are taking place, explorations going to Mars and people going there, possibly not coming back. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's some of the exciting stuff. It's exciting uh, because that's what uh, explorers did in the past. They went to places that they didn't know. Uh, but, uh, I mean, if I just talk in, in, the, in the case of our industry now, the petroleum sector, um, everybody is looking, we are. And it's total leading that, uh, uh, you know, leading into looking at alternative energy, solar being one. And we're very proud that we are a leader in that particular area. So, But that's providing other opportunities and other developments and possibly there'll be other startups as a result of of that particular venture. Thank you very much both for your time, Siat Uza and uh, Dr. Kule. Thank you. Thank you, Andile. Thank you, Andile. Let's make this Africa's tech century. All right. You're on, buddy. <laughs> Now, to listen to the full conversation I had with Siat Uza and Dr. Jerry Gule, head straight to SoundCloud and search for African Tech Roundup, or you can find the link posted on our Facebook account at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup or on Twitter at African Roundup. Now, interesting, one of the things that uh, Sia mentioned, therefore, is AI that he's excited about. Look, the idea of AI, I'm excited about as well. It's just from a practical uh, things that are impacting my life point of view right now, I have not that much to be excited about. I don't know about you. No, I mean, it's still in its basics. And But what, one thing that people have been deceived by is Hollywood. Perception created by Hollywood has been about AI being this uh, wonderful technology that robots can think for themselves, they can feel, they can sort of evolve and behave like humans. And that is actually not true because these robots are created by human beings and the software that runs them is programmed by a human being. Yes, there is machine learning, but uh, yeah, I mean, just to get a good idea of where we are with artificial intelligence is I'll use a very basic and but hopefully something to illustrate how crude we still are in terms of stages of AR is something like autocorrect, which is supposed to be predictive analytics in its basic form. I mean, how many times have you typed certain words and it gives you totally incorrect words? Even those advanced keyboards that are supposed to be learning your way of speaking and the words you use still go way off from what you want to use. But another a good example of AI then comes in the form of Tesla in terms of uh, 
the self-driving software update that they've got. I think it's upgrade to the operating system seven that they run on. I mean, you just click a key and the car drives itself out of the garage and all sorts of things. So yeah, but we're still at a crude stage. The whole thing of an a robot apocalypse—it's not going to happen unless somebody decides to program robots to kill a lot of humans. That kind of makes sense because in the U.S., I think some courts have decided, some states have decided to treat self-driving cars as actual people. In which case, they'd probably hold a, the owner responsible for anything a self-driving car did. Again, speaking to your point that um, nothing can possibly happen outside of a human being, uh, you know, imputing. His or her will on the machine. Exactly. I mean, that car is not going to one day decide that uh, uh, we're going to drive you somewhere else, unless somebody hacks into it and obviously manipulates it and drives you somewhere. Which has happened, by the way, with Jeep, with uh, Jeep Cherokee in the US. It's crazy. The, the AI I'm dealing with right now is again a very crude form. I, I put myself on this list real quick, and I know we, you know the news is waiting, but it's interesting. These guys have just sparked my my imagination in terms of what excites me right now. Um, so I've been testing out the Grid IO, which is a, um, a web building artificially artificial intelligence run platform. So the idea being, you just put it in your your content, and it just decides how best to put to to present it in all the right colors and when. And I've been on this list for me. That mean they've been promoting it for like two years. I was on the beta on the beta list, and I finally got online this past week. Oh my word! Uh, mixed feelings, mostly bad <laughs> for me because yeah, it's pretty awful. It's pretty pretty much AI one one point and um, I'm paying for it. Yeah, I mean, it's we still. Uh, uh, my opinion, I still think we're far off from the wonderful stuff that you've seen in Hollywood, where a robot can predict what you're gonna do and cook you supper because it knows what you feel like tonight and things like that. So I think we're still very, very far from that. But I'm glad it doesn't prevent us from dreaming or being excited about the advancements in science and in technology and in innovation. Uh, I'm still very excited about what what the, the potential of AI specifically would be, but also uh, all the beautiful things we can do if we put our minds to it and, and harness you know technology for the good. What are you interested in? Um, we've heard from Sertuza and we've heard from Dr. Kule. Uh, we're dabbling with AI, mixed feelings about it, but we're still excited. What are you excited about? Give us a shout on Twitter at African Roundup. But right now, it's on to the news, folks. So first up, Uber rival uh, Rocket Internet-owned Easy Taxi has announced a $9.8 million asset financing plan to help their drivers improve the efficiency and quality of their vehicles in Kenya. Now, isn't this what Uber should be doing in Kenya, given uh, what we reported last week? True, but they've already done that in South Africa. Remember with uh, West Bank, FNB-owned West Bank, where they're giving, again, facilities, loan facilities to drivers to buy new cars or lease new cars, etc. Kenya, does this answer your concerns about foreign companies uh, coming here uh, and and basically carving out a niche for themselves, leaving out the locals who, you know, the incumbents who still need to make a living from this? Uh, is this a great way uh, to, what's the word, include people? Is this a great inclusion method that they're adopting? We, we want to hear from you. Um, there's about, there's reportedly about 2,000 easy taxi operators in Kenya, in Nairobi, Nakuru, and Mombasa. Are you guys excited about this development? Are people, what about uh, taxi drivers who have been in the business for a while? Is this welcome news for you? 
Do you think Uber will be doing something along these lines, Defo? I think they will. I mean, once they've done it in South Africa, likely they'll do it in other parts of the developing world. But more interesting, and I note now, is that people haven't been coming after Easy Taxi saying it's a foreign company. Odd. And they've been they've been there longer than Uber, I think. Actually, didn't they pre, didn't they actually get there? Okay, so they're beating Uber to the buzzer in in two respects: uh, being there first, and correct us if we're wrong. Being there first, and of course, uh, you know, putting out a financial inclusion uh, uh, facility uh, to to make sure that people aren't left out. Uh, beating them to the to the to the buzzer. Uh, I have a feeling though that Uber will do what it does best. Doesn't matter who got there first; they'll probably just dominate regardless. Nah, Uber will crush it. <laughs> Sucks. Straight up. Ish. All right, but all the best with it, and certainly um, hat tip towards uh, Easy Taxi for for doing what's necessary to 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 sort of include people who would otherwise be left out. For our next story, uh, the last time we saw Marek Mzislowski, Mzis- I can never say this guy's name right. Marek Mzislowski. Yeah, that dude. <laughs> So the last time we saw him in the flesh, uh, uh, Chinedu is what they call him out in Nigeria. Uh, the last time we saw him in the flesh was at a, a hotel conference in Johannesburg. And, and now after leaving hotels booking platform Javago NG, he's announced a new application which promises, guess, no surprises here, hotels, uh, that um, they, they, they should sign up so that Hotel Oga can help them build, quote, online presence and maximize revenue. Interesting. Uh, I mean, this this comes on the back of uh, apparently, allegedly, his words, Rocket Internet is trying to sue him. And I think we now get a, a small glimpse of why they were probably trying to sue him because he's launching something. They probably think is more is, is, is comp- competing with what he was doing at Trivago. But I, I think the proposition he's coming with for Hotel Oga is, is quite interesting because he's saying that he can provide the hotels with online presence, etc., etc., and a booking platform for themselves. So they don't have to go to the likes of Hotels NG and Trivago. I'd be curious to understand because I've been to the site and I understand. And basically, there's a, if you're interested, basically you have to write him uh, or you know basically submit a form and, and find out what's up. And uh, yeah, so if you're interested at all, they'll kind of let you know. I guess it's a screening mechanism because it could be his competitors trying to figure out what he's trying to do before he's ready to launch. Uh, it's not quite clear to me what the differentiators are because from the sounds of it, it still seems to be the kind of service smaller hotels. Little little guys, the kind that traditionally would sign up on Javago or hotels and G and that kind of thing. So how it's different from what he's just left behind, I'm not sure. That said, it could also be a platform which allows incumbents, big guys, you know, the Hiltons and, and the massive groups, you know, the, the, the Sun International groups and guys like that. Perhaps they're lagging behind and they're stuck with infrastructure. They need to learn how to sweat and they're not, they might not be, you know, clued up onto how to do it on the web. Uh, is that what he's after? I wonder. I mean, I think hotels will take up any offer to sell hotel space like hotel rooms so i think anything new that promises them to do that they'll take it up but it uh i mean he's got experience i'd imagine from from working at Javago. so yeah we trust that he knows what he's doing well all the best to you chinadu um uh, please give us a shout and let us know exactly what you're doing we were on the site we're not quite clear you know what the value proposition is beyond what you've you've said you're going to do which is help hotels build online presence and maximize revenue, which quite frankly, uh, Jovago used to do or still does. If there's something to this innovation we're not quite understanding, give us a shout. Now, the next story is about a dude with loads of time on his hands, it turns out. A Nigerian dude named uh, Demola Ajao 
who reportedly uh, has decided to reformat Nigeria's national budget in order to render it discernible. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. As you say, he probably had a lot of time. I can imagine sifting through uh, pages and pages of a document that's written in cryptic words and numbers that are not formatted in a format that he presented it as we've seen. But it's useful for the normal citizen to 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 view his site because it breaks things down to what you want to see. Maybe you're not interested. You don't have to sift through this document to find a certain budget for your municipality or for your state. Then you just click to specifics and you click to a specific budget line item and you can see it. Yeah, the UI isn't quite there yet. Uh, you know, in terms of experience, it's still a bit of a, a drudge to, to, to go through all that information. That said, it's a lot better than going through the PDFs, <laughs> you know, at the official, uh, the government site. Uh, but he's, he's not even, he's not even trying to pretend this is the finished product. He has put it out there that, um, he's looking forward to people, uh, joining in and, and pitching in, crowdsourcing essentially the skills he needs to turn this into a tool that, average citizen in Nigeria can benefit from. So wherever you are in, in Nigeria, you can start to understand what your government is planning to spend for your area, regionally, down to the town. It's, it's, a, it's a great initiative. Well done to you, Demola. And uh, shout out to him uh, on Twitter at Dewole10. Dewole10 on Twitter. If you're interested in joining his project and helping him uh, bring it up to scratch, I'm sure he would love to hear from you peeps. Now, staying with Nigeria, MTN Nigeria is in trouble again, folks, again. This time, Etisalat Nigeria is taking them to court over what they're claiming to be anti-competitive behavior on the part of MTN Nigeria. Yeah, I think I read the complaint by Etisalat, but it seems odd as well because they're saying that... Uh which is something we discussed when we discussed the acquisition of Visa Phone by MTN Nigeria. They're saying that MTN, MTN is gonna, MTN Nigeria is gonna have an unfair advantage because they're buying a Visa Phone for the spectrum. And having that spectrum, according to Etisalat Nigeria, is gonna give MTN Nigeria a huge advantage of, over competitors, including Etisalat Nigeria. And one would imagine, I mean, that's part of business. The second argument is that, uh, the bid to buy Visa Phone was not a public one and not everybody was invited. But this is not public business. It's a private business. So I, I don't really understand where Etisalat is coming from in this, in this specific case. The 800 megahertz spectrum, as it turns out, will be very handy uh, for the rollout of 4G services and uh, MTN will be looking to dominate in that space with voice revenues dropping. The the mobile telco space, at least from a re revenue perspective, increasingly become a data-driven one. People like Etisalat are looking at this going, These, this is going to be ridiculous. Uh, perhaps it was of public interest from that respect uh, in terms of disclosure because we mentioned, I mean, you called it actually. The last time we talked about this is that the details of that transaction, how and where and what were not disclosed and perhaps they should have given the public interest in that particular spectrum. Definitely. Uh, but we'll see what the Nigerian Communications Authority says on this one. Commission, apologies, says on this one. Look, of course, they already approved uh, in principle, I think outright actually, not even in principle, they actually outright approved the deal that saw MTN buy Visa Phone. It'll be interesting to see if they go back on this, uh, given the, the uproar it's, it's, it's causing. And, may, and will they be dragged to court to tr tr sort of explain how they might have overlooked any sort of potential anti-competitive uh, issues that might arise? Yeah, I think the, the owners in this case is with the Nigerian Communications Commission and not with MTN Nigeria. They're just doing business as usual. So for once in the news, 
there's nothing really wrong that MTN did, except as we'll hear quickly in South Africa. In South Africa, uh, MTN has been issued with a takedown notice to remove music from its stores. An organization called the Composers, Authors and Publishers Association, uh, Compasso, is accusing MTN of basically owing songwriters, their representatives, you know, somewhere in the region of 62, 63,000 uh, US dollars worth of, of unpaid royalties uh, for 2014. Yeah, and apparently one of those involved who's owed money is Dr. Malinga, so I'm sure he's kicking down doors out there. <laughs> I don't know, that kick, my guy. You don't want to be messing with a Malinga. I'm struggling to understand why MTN wouldn't have paid these royalties because they're saying that uh, they've outsourced in terms of the selling of music to third parties, which is your uh, content providers, people who develop these content aggregation for music, etc. So they also, that's their argument. So they're referring musicians to those people, but they are the platform, they're the marketing platform, they're the platform that everybody buys from. So it's, it's quite interesting. Is it just me or do I remember Apple having these sort of issues back in the day when they first started? People basically started to complain that their royalties took forever to come around. They took forever. In this case, MTN doesn't want to pay. That's absolutely ridiculous, MTN. Absolutely ridiculous. It, in the immediacy of it being on the internet, all right, it turns it into sort of a commodity. It's the equivalent of like your, your securities broker trying to say, you know, it's an immediate sale. Like someone bought it. Yeah. There's, an, there's an exchange of value. So I, I don't understand where the third party issue comes in there. They're saying that because they've got, I don't know how it works with MTN, but they're saying that they've got content aggregators. So somebody would handle their music uh, offering or somebody who would handle probably the MTN, what's that, Vu? View? Oh yeah, there's Vu as well. Well, all, I, all I'm saying is MTN, this doesn't make sense. I mean, your, your brand's already struggling in your core area. You've, you've reached out into an area where there's, where you, I suppose you're trying to build affinity and give people reasons to stay within your ecosystem. And then you go and you basically rape them, allegedly, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, I mean, they've acknowledged that they owe musicians money or they haven't acknowledged in as many words, but they do owe the musicians money. And now the musicians are asking for the content to be taken down. I mean, one of, apart from Dr. Malinga, there's also Cash Time Life. So I can imagine KO going to knock them out. Anyway, listen, moving on now, but staying with South Africa, now, Barclays' own banking group, APSA, is piloting a new predictive alert service. There's that AI again. It's not terribly new because I, I, I know for a fact that NetBank offers a similar service, probably not as elaborate as some of the things that APSA will be seeking to do with their predictive service. Um, but the idea is uh, it will notify customers of potential shortfalls in, your, in their bank accounts if you've got uh, debit orders that are meant to be coming off your account and you don't have any cash in that account for whatever reason. Uh, it'll give you an alert to make sure that there is cash and other things too. Yeah, I mean, they're looking to make the life of the customer easier. And I'd, I would imagine, I mean, this is one way of retaining customers because you're hooking them onto your platform and by alerting them, they deposit money, they, do all, they interact with your bank and they use your services more. And I think they're also hoping to trace your, your buying patterns, your purchasing patterns uh, really closely such that if you, at a certain time of the month, generally pour fuel in your car, um, it might send you an alert saying, hey, listen, you've got a, a, a fuel pouring session up 
upcoming, you need to have cash in your account. Listen, I don't even know how detailed they are, but from, from what we've been, from what we've, uh, from what we understand, these are the sort of aspirations they have. They want to be your sort of financial advisor, uh, give you the heads up, your personal assistant, your financial personal assistant. Do you dig the idea? Have you started using it? Have you experienced uh, the service uh, Nedbank provides? Perhaps you're in another part of Africa or indeed the rest of the world where your bank provides similar services. Have you enjoyed it? Let us know. Do you think they're onto something or is this just a gimmick that's trying to keep us in an ecosystem we're all trying to escape and eventually we'll all be using Bitcoin anyway and saying goodbye to them? Well, this can still be a layer on top of any other financial system in terms of uh, the intelligence and the analytics. But it's quite interesting. I mean, I happen to know the chief of staff of the analytics division. They've got quite a good team going on there. But yeah, all the best to them. All the best indeed. So following South African President Jacob Zuma's State of the Nation address on Thursday last week, this dropped on the internet. Take a listen. We are anonymous. We are legion. We do not forgive. We do not forget. Anonymous press release. Operation Africa is an ongoing effort by several activists within Anonymous who have begun collaborating. The focus of the operation is a disassembly of corporations and governments that enable and perpetuate corruption on the African continent. This consists of organizations responsible for child abuse labor, as well as internet censorship within the continent and globally. We are fighting alongside other operations such as OP Nigeria and Anonymous SA to help free the continent from the plague of exploitation that has been occurring for centuries. That sounds rather ominous, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, following that, they've also gone and uh, hacked the government communications information system database and released, I think, approximately 1,500 details of employees. So, I mean, you can go and listen to the, I mean, you can Google it and listen to the whole clip online and uh, they explain why they do what they do. Um, basically, this is a bunch of disgruntled earth lovers, <laughs> it seems. They're anti-GMO from what we can gather, anti-child labor, anti-corruption. Uh, in this case, they're pointing to the South African government as being complicit um, in in crimes against humanity, for, for lack of a better you know, phrase. And because they say local government hasn't done anything on these issues for all these years, they're finally going to punish it. They've been dumping this data um, to be making it freely available on the internet, carefully sifting it through and only putting out government, government employee information uh, so that no one else is hurt. Uh, yeah, interesting debate. I mean, we've had a debate around the hacktivism. Do you empathize with guys like this? To a certain extent, I do. Uh, they're using their skills to, to what? To effect change in the best way they know how to, I guess. They're criminals though, right? In what way? Well, they are stealing information that doesn't belong to them and spreading it, which is a crime technically. So, I mean, when I say, do you empathize with them? Do you empathize with them to the point where you can ignore the criminality of what they're doing? It's a victimless crime. I can't ignore. That's why they are anonymous. So you can't ignore that it is. They know that it is a crime. So they wouldn't come forward with their identities and say, my name is X and I did this because they know immediately they'll get arrested. It's not a victimless crime. As a foreign national living in South Africa, I know that uh, many years ago I applied for a work permit. I was denied. There was a person's name on the denial on, on, the, on the paper. And, I've, and I've, I remember feeling a very... 
of course, I later appealed and got, you know, got granted. So I'm legal. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, there was a name of a person on that list. And I, I presume if I searched long enough and they still worked at the Department of, uh, of Home Affairs, for example, I might be able to track down that person. I don't think it's a victimless crime. Uh, we could debate this. But anyway, back to what they did. In terms of leaking the information, I mean, they are, they, they've leaked people's personal details, including cell phone numbers. And the database they hacked uh, included sort of hashed passwords. I, I wouldn't go into explaining. Hashed is like an algorithm that uh, sort of, you do, for layman's terms, disguises the password, but it's always the same length. But they used MD5, the department, GCIS, uses MD5, which can be reversible, then you can know the password. So you, you get a lot of details on that database they leaked, and you get, I saw some interesting names there. <laughs> oh, my word. I'm not saying I've seen the database. I'm not saying I have or have not. I'm just saying there's some interesting names there. From a distance, you saw what looked like. Nah, but but yeah, I mean, for I, I feel for the government employees, seriously. I mean, having your, your cell phone number there, having your possibly password, somebody could log in if they can sort of get that hash backwards and get your password. So yeah, on that part, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this one's rough. So I, I'm, I'm, I've got mixed feelings about it. Do people have a right to make a point and try and get? Uh, do, can people sometimes feel so desperate that they have to make do drastic things to get the attention of our lawmakers? I guess so. But um, it is a criminal thing. You, you decide for yourself whether these guys are deserve high fives or five <laughs> five year terms in jail. <laughs> our final story and the springboard to this week's discussion comes courtesy of a very famous venture capitalist and Facebook board member, Mark Andresen, who managed to offend hundreds of millions. Of Indians around the world and indeed many other people, non-Indians as well, with a single poorly worded tweet, which he claims was his attempt to express his disappointment with India banning free basics. Hi, man. Yeah, I, I think he was emotional. Looking back at the story, what happened is that uh, before Mark Andreessen tweeted, India announced that they're banning all uh, free internet services because they violate net neutrality. So it wasn't only free basics by Facebook. So... Andreessen now, in response to this, but speaking mostly for, for Facebook because he's a board member and not speaking for them officially, uh, he gets up there and says, uh, makes a crazy comment, which makes him sound like he wishes, he longs for the old days when, you know, colonialism was a thing. Yeah, you should never, one, go on to Twitter when you're emotional, two, tweet something that needs context because 140 characters is never enough. Dude, has this guy never heard of Medium? Uh, and 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 blogging, uh, you you know you express yourself in greater detail so that you're not misunderstood. I think we're becoming lazy in terms of trying to express complex ideas. Uh, hasn't isn't Tabombeki famous for for having said that? Why didn't he take to Facebook? This is the thing. The guy goes to Twitter and it becomes a Twitter storm on a rival platform. I boo. Yeah, I mean, he could have explained himself properly on Facebook. No, point by point, explain the context, explain the history, explain. Instead of tweeting anti-colonialism has worked out nicely for India, didn't it? Or something like that. Which sounded like he wanted to be sarcastic, but you don't know, given the whole context of everything. So it comes across very bad. And at first, I thought he was he was actually on the side of India, sort of taking the mick out of his board and... And, and the vision of Facebook, maybe he wasn't on, maybe he was just trying to show the world that not everyone at Facebook digs this. And then I realized, no, later when he's trying to explain himself, I mean, I'm going to quote a tweet he, he, he said later. He says, denying uh, the world's 
the world's poorest free partial internet connectivity when today they have none for ideological reasons strikes me as morally wrong. Um, no, sir, I believe you are dead wrong because it's a similar argument that we have here in South Africa over apartheid where people who, who are obviously previously advantaged by a system that disadvantaged uh, millions of people systematically. Now I want to say in 2016, listen, just get over it. Let's let's be pragmatic. Come on, le- leave the ideological stuff alone. Let's all work together. Let's just work hard together and 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 make this work. No, sir, there are structural inconsistencies in the countries we live in and and in who runs the economies. And I'm sorry, India doesn't trust Facebook to to own the internet. Yeah, I mean, net neutrality is an age-old debate. But interesting is what uh, Daniel Mwesigo from Uganda once wrote, saying that uh, it's amazing that uh, net neutrality is only violated in developing countries because in the United States, I mean, Barack Obama went up and specifically recorded a video, wrote a blog post promising Americans that there will be no blocking, there will be no fast or slow lanes, there will be, you know, blah, blah, all the good tenets of of, of, uh, net neutrality. But when American companies go to other nations, they feel like they're doing all of us a favor that was his argument and i tend to agree with that i saw a tweet a really cheeky tweet the other day uh, i think i even liked it or retweeted it or whatever actually i said ish because it was rough it, it basically said oh beyonce's on tour uh, uh rihanna's going on tour with tiger or whoever and so-and-so is going on tour and 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 they're going to europe and and drake's going over there and then who's 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 going to africa unicef <laughs> and free basics <laughs> Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg and Free Basics. Come on, guys. The thing is, is there grounds for making this uh, Free Basics issue a neo-colonial debate? What do you think, Def? Uh, yeah, there is. But I think some of the arguments put forward pro-net uh, neutrality as well are good in terms of people are saying that uh, the internet should be treated like a utility. I think it's something we've discussed previously. and that. Uh, but then the problem comes in that who should be responsible for it? Because we're saying that, okay, we can't trust private organizations with it because obviously they're going to throttle certain traffic because it's theirs. Or like Facebook, it's they they play God and decide which app goes on free and which app doesn't go free, determining what people who are going onto the internet for the first time see. But then can you trust governments? Because as we've discussed previously, some of them are repressive and might say, oh no, this is not allowed on, this is allowed on. So who should have the responsibility? It's, it's, it sounds easy when we criticize people like Mark Andreessen for saying that, uh, for, for arguing against India banning, uh, free basics. But when you think a step further and say, okay, what should happen? It becomes more complex. So he's calling for a pragmatic approach where we're able to discuss issues like colonialism and its, and its modern, day cousin neocolonialism and have those discussions but not let it affect the pragmatic approach to making people's lives he's saying the internet makes people's lives better and so what do we say to that argument the argument that there are kids right now that are being actively disadvantaged there are kids in the world in the developing world right now who have no access to the internet that he's put here and they don't even have access to to partial internet which would take them from zero to at least one you're depriving them of that jump um how how can you condone that how can you not be pragmatic enough to see that this could be good for them i disagree with him well a few things one who determines partial internet why should they have partial internet and not full internet number one why should poorer people have partial internet and not full internet who determines that obviously he'd like to determine that because it serves facebook's interest 
or whoever else is offering free internet, Google, whoever else. So who determines whether it's you go from zero internet to 0.1 to 0.2 to 0.3? I don't think it should be private organizations because they're going to serve their own interest. Secondly, was he really saying that? I mean, in that, was he siding? Was he saying we should, because that's why I say 140 characters wasn't, there isn't context. Was he really saying that we should separate the issues? Or was he saying they're one? I mean, it's very difficult to tell whether he was saying we should separate the colonialism uh, debate from offering internet or offering services to poor people. The cynics would say what he was really saying is just leave Facebook alone. If everyone else was banned and Facebook was left alone and Free Basics was allowed in India, he wouldn't have made that tweet. That's what some people are saying. Yeah, The thing is, the messenger is also the message. I mean, he, he he's the wrong person to make that argument. So if he somehow lobbied someone else who's not involved with Facebook, who's totally remote from Facebook and asked them to tweet those things, that would probably have come off better because that person has no direct interest in uh, in the whole argument. But him... Saying all those things, I mean, he's board member of Facebook, so you can't ignore that fact. And Facebook's main man, Mark Zuckerberg, had to literally write the world and say, listen, this is not what Facebook feels and this is what I feel. Um, yeah. So, yeah, dude's out on a limb on his own uh, trying to justify his statements still with with later statements and then later sort of backing out of the, the debate altogether listen what do you think everybody should we allow free basics to come uh, into africa and 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 basically do what they say they they're going to do uh, which is provide partial internet to children who would otherwise have nothing children and and, and adults who would otherwise have nothing do we stand between the poor of our continent and access even in a limited form to the internet or is this just another form of colonialism and a, and a way to create a, a monopolistic environment where only companies like Facebook can actually control how it is we access the internet and, and benefit from it? Tell us what you think on Twitter at African Roundup and of course on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup or just drop us a quick comment on the website directly. The address is africantechroundup.com. Now before we go, once again, today's episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by Audible. Now, they're offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Now, we recommend a great book called Hackers, Heroes of the Computer Revolution by Stephen Levy and narrated by Mike Chamberlain. The 25th anniversary edition of this classic book traces the exploits of the computer revolution's original hackers. Quite fitting this week, given, what, <laughs> given the hacking story uh, we reported on. But uh, this takes you right back into history and looking at the brilliant and eccentric nerds from the late 1950s through to the 1980s, the people who took risks, bent rules, and pushed the world into a radical new direction. And now it has updated material from noteworthy, very famous hackers like Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, Richard Stallman, and Steve Wozniak, people who have changed the face of modern-day computing. Now... To get Hackers, Heroes of the Computer Revolution, or any other audiobook of your choice for free, head over to audibletrial.com forward slash African Tech. That's audibletrial.com forward slash African Tech. Otherwise, that's it. Therefore, uh, yeah, I hope Mark Andreessen doesn't ban us of the free basics in other countries. Imagine. That would not be like a mm -mm, Mark. I'm Andy Limasugu. I'm Tefumahapi. And so till next time, do take care. Take it easy.